Hi guys, today I'm going to be talking through some of your GCSE English language content with you. So starting off looking at paper one, for GCSE English language paper one, section A, you're given one source and that's provided as a separate insert to the question paper in the booklet that you will receive. Section A is worth 40 marks as is section B. Um, Therefore, the maximum mark for the paper is 80 marks. So your reading is assessed in section A and the quality of your writing is assessed in section B. And AQA advise that you spend roughly 15 minutes of your time reading through the five questions and the source available. In total, you have one hour, 45 minutes for paper one and one hour, 45 minutes as well for paper two. The difference with paper two being you've got two sources. So starting off with paper one, question one, um, you're asked to list four things about a certain topic within generally the first section of the text. It, it tends to, to run in chronological order throughout the extract in, in terms of what the questions are asking for and, and where they position you to look. So my advice for approaching this question then, it'll encourage you to read uh, the first part of the source and it'll give a line reference, for example, from lines one to five. My advice is to have a different colour highlighter for each of the four questions and then you're not going to get all your annotation jumbled up. So draw a box around line one to five so you know to stay within that section. Don't read beyond it at that stage because you'd be wasting time to do so. And when it asks you to list four things, I generally tell students to sort of try and put it within their own words or if you're kind of struggling to put it in your own words, you could almost paraphrase a quotation or put a quote as part of your answer. But make sure the four statements that you write are clearly different. Um, you know, you're not repeating the, the same point, but just in different wording. And that it's specifically focused to what the question demands. So circle the key question words. So I've got a paper in front of me now and the question says list four things about the motor van from this part of the source. So the keyword, the focus of the question is motor van. Make sure that when you've written your four different statements, you've got you know that done within a five minute kind of time period and move on to question two because it's only worth four marks. If in doubt, maybe guess um, or just move on and you, you know you could come back to that at the end. So question two then, um, that will generally ask you to look a little bit further down the extract. And for this question, you're given um, a, a box, which is, is the bit that you need to look at, the, the extract, that will feature on the question paper as well. So although I said to use sort of, you know, your four different highlighter colours, one for each question, it could be for question two that you just annotate the extract directly onto the question paper rather than the insert if that helps you to sort of separate your annotation a little bit there so generally it, it's going to be quite short again in this case the paper i've got in front of me it says line 6 to 12 and the question will always be worded um, as follows so how does the writer use language here to describe and then it'll be maybe a character or a setting or something like that in this case it says the hardtop family and it will give you some bullet points to guide you. So it says you could include the writer's choice of. And then it says words and phrases. Now, by words and phrases, it could mean that you 
pick out interesting words, what they mean to you, what you can infer from them, um, or certain phrases that specifically link to the focus of the question. And you explain maybe why that has a certain impact on you as a reader, because a reader's response or an effect on a reader can be an effect of language. So you can get away with that. It might be as well that you can identify word class at that point. So, you know, you could be saying um, the writer uses an adjective to describe the character as such and such and it makes us think or feel whatever it does. The second bullet point then says language features and techniques. So this is where you can try and identify some specific techniques like simile or metaphor or repetition. Um, perhaps you want to go beyond the, the most obvious ones that you think a lot of people are going to comment on and, and try and stretch yourself to find multiple devices and kind of layer those up within your P paragraph style. Um, so, for example, you could try to talk about um, a semantic field of something being created or juxtaposition within a text, uh, the multiple kind of um, effects created by using alliteration on pace and tone and the sounds used, like a plosive sound, for example, and what that suggests about how the writer feels and what they're trying to achieve. Now, for this question, it's a little confusing, I understand, because it's a language question, but it does state that you can comment for the third bullet point on sentence forms. If in doubt you're really stuck, you can say short and long sentences, but it's much better if you could say a kind of minor, simple, compound, complex. Okay, and a minor sentence is pretty easy to spot because you're just looking for a one-word sentence. And again, we can have quite generic responses to those planned if, if you really struggle to think of an original interpretation of a text. So generally, your sort of simpler, minor, shorter sentences are used to create tension, um, drama, suspense be a bit of a focal point or a pivotal point in a text, whereas your sort of longer, more compound and complex sentences being used there, they tend to be to develop description and detail. So that's very, very generic kind of effects. Now, this question is worth eight marks. So my advice to you would be, Aim to write approximately two P paragraphs, but don't just view it as you need to pick out two techniques or two quotes and look at them. It's about layering up your techniques. So, for example, um, in the text in front of me, I could pick out a quotation that says, um, Hartop was driving a thin, angular man starved first. So I might say um, the writer creates imagery um, of the character Hartop as my main kind of technique that I'm looking at is imagery. However, when I then start to break that quotation down within the explanation section of my P paragraph, I might say, well, a rule of three is used there, a list, thin, angular man, starved first, um, to help build up that description, make it really vivid for the reader to connect to him and maybe feel closer to him. I could say thin has connotations of being maybe sort of underfed or quite malnourished or maybe quite weak, angular man suggests he's kind of got this harshness to him or maybe on the other hand it could suggest you know he's got um quite prominent bone structure maybe that's quite attractive to you as a reader I don't know the starved faced bit um is probably uh, for me the bit that stands out there at the end of the rule of three as being um the bit that interests me more so I could look at look at that in a little bit more detail and say well why and what do you associate with the word starved and what kind of um introduction is that for this character so you know you you could be looking at it for, for multiple techniques as you as you go through not just identifying word classes such as the adjectives used but again the form of a list being used to create that imagery okay then um Moving on to question three for this paper then. 
you're always going to be asked about how the writer structures the text to interest you as a reader. It's always, always going to be on structure. And structure basically means how something is built, how it's assembled, how it's put together. So we're thinking beyond the words, what else features really? So some of the things you could talk about then are things like the rise and fall of tension. So nobody can argue with you about which sentence you feel creates the most tension, where the, the peak, the climax of the story is in terms of drama. So you could decide where that is and, and kind of evaluate that and, and put that within your answer. So where's the tension built? Where does it fall again? That sort of roller coaster of emotions that we sometimes see. Another thing you can comment on is significant punctuation for effect. So I wouldn't be inclined to be thinking about things like, you know, full stops and commas, because it might be that they're just needed in terms of creating a sentence. But things that are quite significant to look at are things like um, a question mark, a hyphen, an ellipsis, an exclamation mark, um, the use of dialogue, the use of speech, and so on. So, for example, if you were to pick out there um, the use of an exclamation mark, you could say that that shows joy and excitement, or maybe it shows shouting because of pain or anger. So it can help to set the, the tone for a piece, and therefore that's something where you know your attention might be diverted to. You could also talk about narrative structure. So first of all, who is the narrator? What type of narrator is it? What person is it written in? And as a result of that, where are you positioned as a reader to the characters and the speaker themselves? So think about that and think about the order of events. So narrative structure basically means the order of events the story is, is told in. If you struggle to remember techniques, you can literally go with linear, which means like in a line, in a straight line, going in order or non-linear, i.e. it doesn't go in the order of events. If you wanted to use a little bit more of a fancy word, you could say it goes in chronological order, so the order it's meant to occur in, in the order of time. If it starts kind of um, going back in time um, to a memory or a dream or something like that, you, you can refer to a flashback being used. If it's that um, at the end of the text, and remember quite often this is, is it's just going to be an extract from the middle of a, a novel of some description. It could be that you say it's left on a cliffhanger. So quite often, you know, that's, that's your go-to point for structure is to comment on it being on a left on a cliffhanger. And again, that's kind of used as a, a reader hook. Don't say to make the reader want to read on because it doesn't sound very good. You need to say it's a reader hook. It encourages the reader to ask questions. It's enigmatic. And think about what questions it provokes you to think of and, and list those even. Um, another thing then that you can do, and it's kind of what the bullet points encourage you to do, the bullet points state what the writer focuses your attention on at the beginning of the source, how and why the writer changes this focus as the source develops and any other structural features that interest you. So for, for me, I personally feel to get into those higher grades, that third bullet point is significant because I think the first two bullet points lead you to almost retell the story. And I think that'll get you to about a band two. Um, you can get away with that to some extent. Now, now one of the, the techniques I tell my class to do is as you read the source next to each paragraph, write one or two words next to each paragraph summarising the main kind of content of what's going on. So it could be like job or driving car or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and then when you reflect on those notes that you've you've made after reading the text, you can say, right, at the start, the writer focuses my attention on the character description. And it'll just make you write probably a little bit more uh, concisely and free up some time to... Uh, 
kind of you know talk through structural features rather than just retell the plot now for me in this the second bullet point the most uh, significant part of that is how and why the writer changes the focus so if you can use phrases like the writer shifts my attention to and then whatever topic it may be during paragraph three or by the end so when you use phrases like at the start in the middle at the end you can get credit for textual references but if you can evolve your answer a little bit more by saying things like um the shift of focus is at such and such a point or the climax in the drama is at such and such a point or the pivotal point the turning point in the story is and then again give that textual reference i think that makes for a stronger answer now this question is worth eight marks so again we're looking at about 2p paragraphs generally I think as as a playing it safe, if if you struggle with this and you you tend to kind of lean on going back to language analysis again, what happens at the start, middle, and end is your, your basic answer. If you want to look at structural features of interest, you can pretty much always specify if it's linear or non-linear, and you can pretty much always specify there's a cliffhanger. So they're the kind of easier ones. That the more ambitious ones would be specific narrative structure terms like your things like flashback, foreshadowing, uh, flash forward. Or perhaps there's a dual narrative, so two kind of stories going on at once there. Um, you know, a circular narrative like where you start, you come back to, and things like that. Um, or the rise and fall intention again, because that's involving more high-level thinking skills. You're having to evaluate where something takes place. Okay, so by this point, you will have read the whole source because question one will have probably... Um, You'd have only looked at the first paragraph. Question two, probably the paragraph after that. Question three, the whole source. So you don't really need to reread it as such. It'll just be a case of skimming and scanning for the information that you need. So an example of a question four then, it could say, uh, focus this part of your answer on the second part of the source from line 34 to the end. So again, only annotating your fourth colour this time to keep it separate from everything else you've done. Um Draw a box around the bit that you need so you're not tempted to quote from elsewhere and, and therefore lose marks for that effectively. Um, you'll be given a quotation and it'll be something along the lines of um, a student said that in this part of the story, the writer creates uh, a sense of um, whatever it may be. I can't think of an example off the top of my head. <laughs> um, and to what extent do you agree? And in your response, you could, and then it'll give you, again, three bullet points to guide you. Um, and it'll basically be saying, consider whether you agree or agree, uh, disagree practically with that statement and evaluate how the writer does that and support your, ref your response with references to the text. So, again, it's just point evidence explained, but you kind of have to add your additional do you agree or disagree with the statement line in to, you know, every now and then. Um, now... When you evaluate how the writer creates sympathy or whatever the focus of the question may be, um, so in this case, the one I've got in front of me says, this part of the story where Alice is sent back along the road to find what has fallen from the roof and returns with the chrysanthemums shows how hard and cruel Hartop is so that all of our sympathy is with Alice. Um, to what extent do you agree? So the bullet points then are asking um, how the writer creates sympathy for, for Alice. So when it says how, whenever you see the word how, think about um, what language techniques are used, so writer's methods. So you're thinking about language and structural techniques. Now, you've already done this for question two and three, but arguably from a different part of the source. So some of which for question three, you can recycle, you can reuse it again. That's absolutely fine where structure is concerned. You've had a little bit of a warm up and a bit of a practice looking at um, language within question two. 
And again, if you find that you're looking at similar techniques, that's fine. It'll probably be a different examiner marking it. So they won't recognize that you've already written about that anyway. Now, this is worth 20 marks. So you're thinking probably about 25 minutes and about four P paragraphs. Again, that layered kind of um, approach to doing this, layered techniques, layers of analysis. It's that what gets you into the higher marks. Now, I think it's important that it doesn't look too formulaic, too heavily scaffolded, but you need to roughly be creating... Um, sort of an, an opening sentence in your paragraphs that states whether you agree or disagree um, and because of the use of such and such a method that allows you to think that. So you could say, I do agree that um, the writer focuses our attention on Alice through the use of um, a simile and then this is shown in the quotation, whatever it may be. So you lift the quotation from the, the specific part of the extract and then you simply just analyse it in the normal way that you would. So some people freak out at question four. They say, I don't get that. I don't know how to do it. The only thing that's different is you're literally adding if you agree or disagree. Apart from that, it's the exact same as any language P paragraph that you that you would normally do. Now, another way of kind of going about this, if you wanted to... Um, sort of show an alternative argument is you might think of doing three paragraphs for and one against or you know jumbling it up so you've got a bit of a mixed viewpoint then generally it'll swear you to go one way or the other anyway it'll kind of encourage you to be a you know agreeing or disagreeing but if you wanted to give an alternative viewpoint you, you can absolutely do that and if that is the case what I would suggest you do then is um, as you're highlighting relevant quotations that are linking towards uh, the topic of the question. In this case, the one I had in front of me was about sympathy for Alice. You could write agree or disagree next to all the bits that you've highlighted, okay? Um, in terms of not wasting time for planning in this part of the exam, my advice would be that as you read the specific part of text and you're highlighting the relevant quotation, quotations to do with sympathy, you then go back through and quickly annotate the methods in just the highlighted bits, not the whole extract, okay? Um, your How you use your reading time in your English language papers is crucial to whether you get the paper finished or not because it is quite tight for time and if you spend ages reading through a full source, then rereading it to annotate, then trying to produce your answer but having to keep sort of sifting through the annotation that you've done for all of the questions because you're lost of which bit was for which question you know it, it's just be, it's going to eat into your time massively so that's why the four colors work quite effectively or writing single words next to the paragraph so you know that's going to help you to pinpoint the quotations or the relevant bits of the extract that you need Okay, in terms of how to order those four questions, some teachers encourage you to just go in the order of the paper and therefore it's kind of saving a little bit of time reading wise. Some teachers ask you to focus on question four first because it's worth the most marks. I mean, whatever you do, do not skip question four. Sometimes if you feel like you're running really, really tight for time and you have chosen to go in order, I'd say, you know, question one warms you up a little bit, doesn't it? It gets you going. Question two doing a language P paragraph, most of you find your, uh, you've had more practice at that kind of skill. So you're more comfortable to get going with that. I'd then perhaps go into question four, if need be. If in doubt, bullet point a quick response to question three, if you think you're going to run out of time. That's that's generally what I tell my class to do, um, rather than leaving it blank. And even if you scrape another one or two marks, it's, I guess, better than nothing, isn't it? But question four, it is a priority. 
Okay, so you'll have probably spent about an hour um, or 45 minutes doing that, if you know, your hour including reading time. Um, and then therefore you've got about 45 minutes left for section B, which is your writing section. It's really, really important that you do produce a plan for this. Um, a lot of people skip over it. They say it's a waste of time. They don't want to do it. But I've found when marking these, if you if you don't do that, what happens is you kind of run out of ideas quite quickly. Your ideas are not developed enough and you've not planned in a range of skills. So you just end up describing things quite blandly and quite quickly. And then your piece is kind of not quality or quantity. So a plan is really important. I generally tell my classes to do a spider diagram plan and on the sort of first, well, more like a mind map, I guess, a mini mind map, the first kind of um, the branches coming off your spider diagram will be your ideas. So, you know, in paragraph one, I'm going to describe the ocean. In paragraph two, I'll look at the beach, the sand. Um, now, as, an, as a next strand coming off each one of those points, I tell my classes to think about what techniques would lend themselves well to that topic. So if it's that you're doing a description of setting that might be where you put in sort of things like personification or pathetic fallacy and metaphor and stuff like that whereas if you had two characters meeting a little bit later on in your story or your description it might be that it's more significant to you speech um, or perhaps you want to play about with your sentence structure there and your paragraphing structure a little bit so you must plan your techniques I also tell my class to do like a little bit of a punctuation checklist so that you don't kind of mosley along and, and produce a very kind of, um, you know, an okay piece of work, but something that's not ambitious enough to get into the higher grades. So if you do kind of like a little checklist on your plan and tick off the semicolon after you've used it and tick off the colon and the hyphen and the brackets and so on, it's just reminding you to use those more ambitious pieces of punctuation as you go along. So for this question, you're given a choice. You'll be given an image and it will be in colour and you'll literally be asked to describe whatever it is as suggested by the picture. The one I've got in front of me, it says your school or college is asking students to contribute some creative writing for its website. Either describe a marketplace as suggested by the picture or write a story with the title Abandoned. So it kind of says either write a story or do a description. I mean, obviously, you've got to go with the one that you're most comfortable with on the day. I feel like if you do the short story, um, for me, I would find that more difficult because you tend to get kind of carried away with action over description. And if you do a story, I think you've got to be absolutely spot on in terms of the genre um, that you, in order to make it clear of, of what type of writing it is. Um, whereas if you go with the description, then overall it's just a case of sort of expanding your vocab and showing off your use of techniques and things as much as possible and you've got the, the stimulus in front of you so it's a case of just using the image in front of you and describing what that looks like I, th I think that's a lot easier in some respects than the story the other thing with um the image is you can basically follow kind of a pre-planned routine with that so some of you may have worked through a piece of writing called the path where you know you're asked to stand at the foot of a path and stand still and just describe it so that could be 
in in effect just describing this image then you're asked to walk down the path and describe your thoughts and feelings as you walk and your movement so the focus is on movement and verbs and then the path splits you come to basically a bit of a tension point or a decision making point where do you go left or right so again that could show moving through the image if there is a path or um like a, a choice available for you and then something presents itself. Is it an animal? Is it um, a human? What is it? It's, it's a problem, basically. So this is where you're, you're creating that rise um, intention. Um, within the path as well, it says, you, you know, you come across some water. How would you get by it? What do you do? What's the significance of it? And then at the end, it's left on a cliffhanger. Um, in this case, you come to a wall. You can't get past it, but you can hear on the other side. So you can kind of use that path piece of writing, no matter what the images on setting to basically just work through a character's thoughts and feelings to focus on their movement you focus on the description but appealing to all five senses another little kind of tip that I wanted to give you for this part of the exam then was bearing in mind the images in color you can always create a semantic field of color and be ambitious with your color words you know don't just say black maybe say charcoal or um you know instead of just saying red you could sort of think of shades of red like ruby um or poppy red so be creative with your sort of your language for that um vary your sentence openers and quite often think about using an adverb as a sentence opener because that can impact on pace which again suggests tone and genre so starting with one of those ly words can kind of um, suggest how a character or the speaker feels like immediately suddenly anxiously cautiously Try to make sure that all your paragraphs are a different length so that it doesn't look very bland on the screen. It looks quite exciting to read. Be creative with structure and consider having a one word or one line kind of a paragraph length to contrast a longer paragraph. Um, when people are speaking, I think it looks better if speakers are on new lines so it's clear about who's speaking. And remember to punctuate speech um, effectively as well and, and appropriately, of course. So do some revision on that because that's where I see quite a lot of errors. Some people lose marks in a bit of a foolish way by not using capital letters for proper nouns and things, place names, people names and so on, sentence starters. And, and the, the word I on its own is is a capital. So bear that in mind because a lot of you will have learnt that really, really early on in your education um, in primary school. Um, another little tip is that when you have the image in front of you, think about zooming in on something like microscopic detail, you know, so this this picture I've got in front of me, it kind of distracts you to look at all the food and you'd be potentially quite tempted to just list all the different foods you can see. But if you were to zoom in on something in really small detail, it could be, for example, there is... Um, there's a man in in like a, an abattoir style bit of, of this drawing and he's cutting up what looks to be um, a bull or a cow of some description anyway. And um, it could be that you focus really on his hand and the blood on his hands or the meat under his nails and, you know, really get <clears throat> into the sort of um, finer attention to detail rather than just saying a man is cutting up a carcass or whatever it may be. You know, you, you need to avoid just listing everything in the description and really sort of zoom in on things. And likewise, you can zoom out. So think about what goes on beyond the picture. Remember, it says describe a marketplace as suggested by the picture so it doesn't mean it has to be that picture exactly because it's a marketplace you could relate the tale of going to North Allerton market on Saturday morning and you could be working on a stall there you could be taking your grandma to do some shopping you know you could just be hanging around with your friends and going for a little bit of a browse so just you know remember that it says suggested by 
but the image is there to, to prompt thought. And again, you don't have to set it in this day and age. You could kind of go back in time and think about what you've learned from Dickens's descriptions in A Christmas Carol and maybe play on that a little bit. Or if it looks like, um, you know, from the way people are dressed in the image, it might be summer. It doesn't mean you have to have it as summer. You could have it as winter and you're Christmas shopping. So you, you can play about with that a lot. Now, in terms of how the marks are awarded for this particular paper then, for this question, sorry, you've got 24 marks available for content and organisation. So that's kind of your ideas, how you're presenting them in order, how you're paragraphing your work, um, the skills that you use, uh, your different language techniques and so on, how ambitious your writing is. And then you've got 16 marks for what we call technical accuracy. And a lot of your teachers will be sort of saying that's just your spag marks. So spelling, punctuation and grammar. So spelling's not massively important. Yes, it is marked for only question five, not section A. Um, however, I'd say it's better to try and use more ambitious vocabulary and potentially spell words incorrectly than to just not try at all and play it safe okay being ambitious is the most important thing um make sure you leave a couple of minutes at the end to proofread and you know just in particular check for things like missing apostrophes if, if you're not confident with apostrophes i always say say it in the longest way possible so don't be lazy with your writing and write don't write do not um, and, and then that's just helping a little bit for those more basic errors um, if, if you're likely to overlook them. Um, and then again, you can go back to your plan as, as part of your proofreading, see if you can check off everything on your checklist, see if you've put in all the different skills that you'd planned to do so. And if not, remember, it's fine to use like a little asterisk and, and sort of add something in at the end if, if needs be. Now, a lot of people say, how long should this answer be? Again, it's quality over quantity every time. However, um, in order to show your ability to paragraph and I guess um, how to, to structure a piece of writing and for your writing to develop, especially if you're thinking about embedding kind of multiple themes or voices or flashbacks of some description or speech effectively. Um, and if you're trying to put in a moral or a message or something, you know, to really try and, and stretch that piece, um, then I'd be aiming to do about two sides approximately. Of course, everybody's handwriting is different. That's just kind of average size handwriting. If you've got massive handwriting, it's probably going to be three or four pages. Now, for a lot of you um, in class time, you'll maybe only write for kind of 20 minute bursts. And for those of you who... Um, are quite disciplined and as part of your revision you do lots of exam papers at home then that's great you'll be used to uh, writing for extended periods of time and sitting in silence and thinking for yourself this is why it's really really important that you take some time to do practice questions and write for a long time because you're going to be writing flat out for an hour and 45 and you can't kind of go oh my hands ache and I'll just have a rest and it's a bit like if you were building to to run a marathon, saying that this is metaphorically the marathon, you know, you need to be writing for long periods of time and getting used to it in the same way that you would train your, your, your body for a marathon by running for and, and building that up. So it's, it is important that you get used to writing um, because yeah, your hand's going to ache, your wrist's going to ache, you're going to be slow at it unless you do it on a regular basis. So I hope that helped in terms of um, paper one, explorations in creative reading and writing. Um, I'm going to do a separate podcast on paper two just to break this up a little bit for you, okay? Um, so that will follow next. And in, in terms of just as a, a final thought, in terms of how to revise for this again, 
lots and lots of reading is key to build your vocabulary, your understanding of sentence structure, genre, writer's styles, you know, things like that. So reading books is absolutely key. Practice papers, like I've just said, again, they're absolutely key, available from the AQA website, or potentially you could make your own. If you take your favourite page um, from a novel, from your favourite novel, and question one is always going to be list four things, two is always going to be language, three is always going to be structure, four is always going to be do you agree or disagree with a quotation, and you could create those questions yourself and try to answer those. And for question five, if you typed into Google creative writing stimulus or imagery or setting picture interesting character image you know you could write descriptions on all of those very easily so you could you could invent your own paper I'd also be encouraging you to do some thesaurus work so create yourself some um, vocabulary spider diagrams for keywords that you'd use for readers response and emotions or textures and colors you know sensory kind of work to put into your descriptive writing um, if you are unsure at this stage on how to use punctuation accurately, of course, you could be revising um, how to use different bits of punctuation. Again, if you type into Google, how do I use a semicolon? It will give you the answer. Finally, as usual, I always big up Mr. Bruff, but again, there are stacks and stacks of answers, exemplar work and how, different approaches talking through the exam so you can see it visually on the screen as well as kind of listening like I'm going through here. So... Give some of those papers a go. Maybe send on your answers to your teachers for additional marking. Um, peer mark some. The mark schemes are available on the AQA website if you choose to do a past paper as well. So stacks of stuff for you to be revising from. And of course, school sell the study guides if you need them. Good luck. <laughs>